Welcome to the second episode of High and Low by me, Bravo, Bravo, Ducking Bravo. Before we jump in to a recap and review and feedback on Real Housewives of New York reboot, there's some Bravo matters at hand. So let's just go over Bravo news of the day. And of course, the biggest news is the Salt Lake City finale. I'm behind on it. I was trying to avoid all things about it, but I realized that that was not going to happen. That's not realistic. So I went ahead and I watched the the bits. And my main takeaway is I always knew there was something up with that account years ago because they released the footage of Jen Shaw yelling at her uh, assistant and that was great and all. But then it got really, really kind of just like super snarky and dark afterwards where you could tell somebody had an agenda the equivalent of, you know, kids ringing a doorbell and like throwing a bag full of poo. It just seemed like it was really the way that they're releasing text messages between each other, talking about starting drama and getting up to no good. Like that's just, that was the feeling I got for it. And so I remember being like, something's fishy here. This was at the height of the pandemic. This was 2021. Let me look and see if I can see an exact date. I found it. It was March, 2021. It was barely a year since lockdown started and all these, it wasn't just one account. It wasn't just Reality Vontis. There were a couple of accounts. There was uh, Shaw Sheep was one. There was uh, It Smells Like Hospital. I remember all of these. I have notes still on my phone from conversations with other accounts like, what is this? And these were, now we know, all part of that same crew starting these accounts and trying their best to shine light on the awfulness of Jen Shaw. Because I looked back at some of the screenshots I took, and all of the posts that I see are really aimed at Jen Shaw trying to take down Jen Shaw. After that video came out of, of Koa, the dress maker for her reunion dress, she was screaming at him on tape. Someone videoed it like they were sitting at a bar in her house, and someone was recording her yelling at Koa. And that person, I guess, was Monica. So they started all these accounts, putting it all out, and then trying to also tell the world just how awful she was. I don't know if they knew the full extent of it or not, but they were doing what they could. And it just got so kind of like childish and and silly that I I can't remember if I blocked them all or just stopped or stop following them because they would tag us too. That's the thing you need to keep in mind is that especially for the accounts that look into stuff, I'm not the only one, by the way, they tagged several accounts and I have screenshots of that, that when something would be released, they would tag a ton of Bravo accounts, like look into this or wanting us to be aware of it. They were really working hard. They were putting the work in to try to expose Jen Shaw. Heather was not doing that work. So it's really interesting to me to see the finale and then remember how mad Jen Shaw was in 2021, how big of a deal this was. Remember, she was so mad that somebody had released those videos of her that she was going to press charges. And then right when she was going through court proceedings, I think she met with a lawyer on video and she was really laying it on thick. And then the feds cracked down. And so I remember my first thought when the feds were cracking down was like, I feel like Co is fine. On March 5th, 2021, Jen filed a cease and desist with an attorney against three people, Koa, Monica Fowler, and someone named Savannah Gonzalez. So these three individuals, she said, were behind the account Reality Von Tease and Reality Von Tease 2 and Shaw Shepard. Shaw Shepard turned into It Smells Like Hospital. So all those accounts are created in the beginning of March 2021. The cease and desist comes pretty rapidly afterwards on March 5th. 
Then Jen Shaw is arrested on Tuesday, March 30th, along with Stewart. Stew chains, if you nasty. Those accounts had the kind of the kind of crescendo of like the plants that bloom at midnight once every 10 years. And I wonder, did they really know that the crackdown was about to happen? So they were just having some fun with it because the account stayed active for a while, just throwing stuff out, you know, saying how high you're going to prison or whatever. But then it sort of petered out like they had done what they needed to do. It's a tangled web. And so there's no way that Heather never met Monica or didn't know about this cease and desist or know who Monica was. There's no way that even if Heather never, let's say Heather never met her, let's say that she had no knowledge that Monica Fowler was this current Monica. When the season is announced and they show Monica's face as a cast member, you don't think Jen Shaw told Heather that's the same Monica? You don't think she and Heather talked about what they could do to expose Monica this season? That's the frustrating thing about Heather is that she keeps aligning with Jen Shaw, the criminal. Is Monica messy? Yeah, that's messy. Why did she have an account? She had an account in the first place because she was trying to show the world that Jen Shaw wasn't a great person, that all the stuff was happening in the background. I'm not saying it's some noble quest. I'm just saying at least the intentions were right. This whole speech, this whole soliloquy of Heather's not having money and making Monica pay for it, that little look that Heather gives her when that's all happening, it's all making sense. And I think that this was a plan. I think Heather kept it close because you can't, I don't think she could trust any of the other women to keep it quiet, but I think she and Jen had this cooking. If you ask me, that's my theory. And she did. She pulled it off for at least, you know, 48 hours until someone remembered, hey, wasn't Monica the one that they, that she was suing? If she was part of, if she was part of Jen Shaw's crew, then it's not adding up. It feels fishy. And I'm, I'm again asking myself, Heather, what, what you doing? Heather, what you doing? What's, what's the motivation here? Because to stand up and say at that dinner, we all rode hard for Jen and we ignored stuff. And also she gave me this black eye and we're mad at you. So how dare you infiltrate this group? Uh, I feel like she's worthy of being in the group. I think she's pulled her weight this season. I've been amused. I'm, I'm still pondering it. I still got to catch up with the rest of the season. But I think this was a plan. And I feel like the producers had to know. They had to. At making a couple of accounts and going after Jen Shaw. I don't see how that is worse than what Jen Shaw did. Maybe because it didn't affect their sphere directly. So they were they were kind of, but Jen Shaw was the ringleader of a national scam, telemarketing scam to fleece the most vulnerable amongst us of their meager limited income and savings. People who, the only reason Jen Shaw had their information was because they were trying to start a small business of their own, hoping for a second income stream. They, one lady made doll clothes, I think. Another lady made pillows for kids. It was, it was so pure and so innocent. These people just wanted to understand how to use the computer to make a business. And so that just, I know it's, it seems like it's whataboutism, but the way that they used Jen Shaw as part of the narrative, I think, is what stood out to me of like, I, what? That's not even, why are you mad at her then for having an account? It's still a mean spirited troll account for sure. Like that's the definition of a troll account. It was still good TV though. 
I won't lie. So that's the big news. But also going on in the background, Girardi, a judge just decided that he was competent and will stand trial to the five biggest debtors that he owes, one of which is Joe Rogomez, who has been owed millions and millions of dollars for a decade now, over a decade now, I think 2011 they filed. I can't, I got to get into all the details when I do pods about specific things about Girardi, but oh my, they've been waiting for so long. And the list of creditors, it's astronomical at this point. So they're lucky that Joe, a normal human being with real life needs for the money is part of the initial creditors because the rest of them are like banks. I feel more for the people. Those two big things happened within the last 24, 48 hours. So crazy Bravo week. And Gypsy Rose is free. Oh, I believe the documentary is called Mommy Dead, Mommy Dearest. And Mommy Dead, Mommy Dearest is an HBO documentary. But then there's also a mini series that came on TV called The Act. And that one got rave, both of them got rave reviews. And so I hope that she made money off of that. I don't know if you can make money after you commit a crime and are convicted of it because I don't know what she has to live on. Now I'm in the camp that I don't think she should have had to do a decade in prison. She was already a prisoner, her mother's prisoner, and she was tormented. I don't know if she ever would have had the ability to confront her mother. Do I think that it was right what happened? No, but I understand the desperation. I understand how it got there. And she absolutely was a victim. So then to send a victim to prison for breaking free from their tormentor is where I'm, I'm like, okay, who did that help? She's losing more of her life that she already, she already didn't get to go and be an, a normal kid or a normal teenager or a normal young adult. And so let's take away more of her time because that'll, that'll teach her. It's like she was locked away. Let's, let's hope that things are going to go great for, for Gypsy Rose. But she has a husband that started writing her when she was serving time. And I guess he wrote her kind of just as a, a dare. A friend of him, his was going to write a celebrity in prison. He said, well, then I'll write Gypsy Rose. And they actually connected. So let's really hope that that works out nicely for them. And I think I speak for everybody when I say we just want, we want Gypsy Rose to live, laugh, love, get out there, go on a vacation, maybe write a book when she's ready, live a good life. I feel like her mom would have just kept that going forever. I think forever. That was the plan. There's, there were so many issues there and she was a victim of the system. Her mom was just going to keep moving different locations and nobody was ever going to catch up. I think a doctor finally did, but it took too long. With all business matters covered, we'll get into the recap of Real Housewives of New York reboot. In this episode, we're going to dive into the Real Housewives of New York. And by that, I mean, I'm going to go over quickly highlights of the season talk about some things that happened at the reunion and after the season, and then thoughts about season two, about people coming back, storylines, things like that. So as we get started here, let's let's begin with uh, episode one, season one. Those who've been following my account know that I anticipated seeing episode one of season one in person. They had a viewing party, is what they called it, for Real Housewives of New York. And I was so thankful I got to go to that. And it was at the Rainbow Room and NBC Universal was hosting it. And I went with a couple of other account creators, um, Zen Blonde, She Speaks Bravo, um, and some others went as well. Dame Galley, The Talk of Shame, Kiki. I, I thought, when so, if somebody says to you, you're going to a viewing party, what do you think? 
you think you're going to view something, right? So I thought I was going to, we were all going to be like in a theater type thing. I was like, oh, how is this going to work? It's going to be great. I'm sure they're going to have like this private viewing. So I took an edible because I wanted to just be in it. I wanted to be in the episode. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to just have that experience, right? We walked in and, oh, I still have it up in my highlights. It's called like Real Housewives, like viewing party or something. And I said at the top of the stairs when I walked in and looked and I saw that there were no seats and it wasn't going to be that kind of a party and it was just a mixer. I was like, oh my God, I am high as a kite, dressed like Babadook at this NBC Universal high-end mixer with the cast of The Real Housewives of New York Reboot at the Rainbow Room. I could not believe that was the situation. And I did it to myself. That's why you don't take the edible till you get there. I should have sussed it out first. I should have done my recon. I didn't. I trusted that it was a viewing party. It was very nice. I was in another on another astral plane. And so I did not go up and speak to anyone other than my own party, a la Mr. Darcy. Uh, that was intentional because I knew that the things that would come out of my mouth would would be bad. And there really is nothing better than just people watching because I really got to see them in their elements. So I was like, okay, I don't get to watch an episode, but let me watch them in the wild. So it was it was like I was on a nature show. Oh my, that's my cat meowing, right? Just imagine, I know nothing about any of them. And I'm watching Uba as she welcomes people and as she's talking to people and working in the room, I'm watching Bryn uh, and she was just like on 10, you know, little miss personality. You could tell right away, not even talking to her. You could tell right away. Jenna had on, I remember it was like this beautiful jacket, but it was flowers. Oh, I loved it. Sigh. I don't remember a thing. <laughs> Jessel looked stunning. I remember, I think I actually spoke to her because she was coming out of the bathroom as I was going into the bathroom with some folks and we told her she looked beautiful. She was sick that night, if anybody remembers that. She had a stomach bug and she ended up, I think, puking at the event and leaving. And again, no one knew her. So people didn't know like, is she a big drinker? And was it that? But she really did have a stomach bug and she was very, uh, you know, an amazing soldier to come anyway and try to make it through the evening. I don't even remember Erin being there. I don't I don't have any memory of seeing her at all. I'm sure she was, obviously. Um, but the other women I remember seeing uh, and watching them, you know, as they worked the room. Andy was there, too. He was, you know, he was on 10 as well. He was making conversation with everyone. I have footage somewhere. I need to release it at some point <laughs> of me sitting next to me sitting next to Emily if she speaks Bravo. And again, I'm just high as a kite and we're sitting on this little couch and Andy was right in front of us, directly in front of us, like reach out and touch, talking with people, having a great time. Emily said, oh, you should talk to him. He's right there in front of us. You haven't gotten to talk to him yet. It's not a matter of haven't gotten to. It's a matter of I can't, I shan't, I won't. I'm going to say something crazy, something off the walls. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to do that here. He was, you know, everybody was was on their best behavior. But anyway, the people who ran the event were very nice. It was a good time. And we got a, a little gift when we left. And I shared that on my account as well. It was like two little tiny bottles of champagne and a little like, I think it was like a, a bingo game to play while you're watching the show, which is so funny because 
I made a couple of years back, it's still on Etsy, a bingo thing for this little brand who um, makes these bingo mugs for when you're working at home. And I did a real housewives version of that. And it's very funny. And you can write on the mug with dry erase and you can, so like when you're watching the reunion, it'll be like, someone talks about something that happened on social media, XX. And so you can try to win the game with your friends. Anyway, so they gave us that. And I forget what else was in the box, but it was a nice thing for them to do. So we love swag and swag, by the way, means stuff we all get. If anybody's ever wondered, fun fact for you. I like to go into a season cold. It's it's fun for me. I don't want to go in with a preconceived notion of someone. You know, Jenna was the only one I knew anything about. I'd heard that Cy was an influencer, which I don't like. I don't, maybe it's just, I need to get with it and not be a dinosaur, but I am not excited if the future means everybody that's going to be on reality TV, we already know as an influencer. My concern there is reality TV is already kind of some fakery and influencers deal in fakery. And so who do you ever get that's being a real person? I don't know. Ugh. These are just my issues. But I do keep seeing people say that, you know, authenticity is going to be the currency of the future and this whole fakery, like, you know, putting a, a phone across your room and then showing yourself stretching and getting up out of bed, like that's all going out the window because obviously you're already up because you put the camera on the other side of the room to then get back into your bed and pretend to stretch. Anyway. That's my issue with influencers of, of now. I think we're going to look back on this era and cringe a little bit as we do for every era that we complete, but I hope that it's more authentic in the future. So low expectations, which is how I like it. I remember finally getting home and watching the episode when it aired with everybody else. And if you remember that first episode, it was Aaron hosting everybody at her Hamptons home, her Hamptons home. And she only had caviar, no other snacks. That episode is so funny to go back and watch because I went back and I watched my recap of it. And boy, oh boy, like I thought Cy was great. I was like, look at her. She's bringing her own toilet paper. Like that's so, you know, it's a little quirky. It's a little eccentric. I'm here for it. And she talked about how she was hungry and she wanted to eat some good food. And I was like, me too. And... Uba was great in that episode and she wanted to go to the grocery store because Aaron had no food and refused to give them more than what she had put out, <laughs> which is crazy uh, to me. To me, it's crazy because I come from an overfeeding family. So you either come from like an almond bomb family or an overfeeding family. And mine is overfeeding. Like if you come to our house and you're going to eat some food, you're going to be in pain when you leave. That's how much we're going to feed you. Like from the minute you walk in, I'm going to have beverages, assorted beverages, assorted snacks, things like that. You know, it was just the way I was taught. My mom grew up in the South. So like, that's just how it's going to be. And um, so they they took umbrage with that and I don't blame them. And Aaron refused to do anything about it. So I knew pretty much right away that uh, Aaron was my opposite in any way that two people can be opposites. Other than I like her choices of genes. That's it. That's where it ends for me. But uh, yeah, then Jenna, she arrives to that in her classic car. And I loved that because it's such a Jenna thing to do to be like, yeah, you guys might all be driving the same Range Rover, but I'm driving my classic car. And I still I maintain that that is that is a really 
top tier move to make as a housewife because it's almost like there's a housewife cookie cutter playbook. Like if you told me tomorrow, like, hey, pretend you're a housewife, I I would do like 10 essential things. And one of those would be to go to my local Range Rover dealership and be like, hey, give me this car for the day. I have to pretend I'm a real housewife. And that's all they drive. So anyway, Jenna arrived in that classic car. There was talk about her having a house nearby and they were giving her crap for wanting to stay at her own house. Please come on. If my house was nearby, there's no chance I would spend the night at, at anyone else's house. Like just, it's not going to, what do you care? What do you care where someone is unconscious? <laughs> She'll stay and play until nighttime. And then when everyone's going to go, you know, lay down, she's going to skippity hop over to her house with her sheets and her soaps and her her choice of, of uh, you know, ambient lighting. What's the big deal? I never understand that when people get upset that someone doesn't want to spend the night. But that's just, that's the MO of the housewives. And we learned that in that episode that her mom, Jenna's mom, had passed away six weeks before, that her mother had Asperger's that went undiagnosed for most of her life. And, you know, Jenna being confused as a child why her family was different than others and talking about how loving Jessel's mom was to her. Um, so there were a lot of things in that episode, episode one, that kind of established Jenna as a sympathetic figure in our minds. It was a it was a good first episode. It really was. Jenna talked about the hyperpigmentation, the insecurity about her skin, you know, compared to these other women who some of them make a living by showing off their bodies. Then she gave everybody a gift. She gave them the negligees, the lingerie that was a pricey lingerie that I shared in my stories that I told you like how much everything was. Then Jessel made the mistake of opening up in episode one. Jessel opened up. And shared that she and Pavit hadn't been intimate in X number of months, almost two years since she had her twins. But they were kind of low-key about it. Aaron was like, I want, I want, I really want you to have sex. Jenna talked about being outed in the press after ending her marriage and realizing she was attracted to women. And that's where that first episode established in my mind. I was like, I don't know if I like Jessel because she really went off about the lingerie and just wouldn't let it go about how much she hated it. And and that's when I say to myself, hey, she might be going through something. Let's give her a minute. That new mom time is so horrible. I had postpartum depression and I remember waking up one day. It was two years later, two years and some change. And it was just gone. gone. It was like a horrible dark cloud had been lifted off of me, but it was two years and no one had ever explained postpartum to me in a way that I could understand. People talked about the baby blues. People talked about, oh, you can not feel, uh, you can feel a disconnect with your baby. You can just feel sad. Here's how I would describe my postpartum. It is like the absolute meanest person in the entire world that you have ever met, the most critical uh just horrible person, but it's you. You know yourself the best. And so you can be the meanest to yourself. And so there's a voice, not like a literal voice, but thoughts that pop up in your head. They're the meanest thoughts ever. My thoughts were like, you're not cut out for this. Uh, you're, you're awful at this. Um, I won't get into them because they get really, really dark. But what I'm saying is it was that all day for two years and they, the thoughts wouldn't stop you know, coming. So I had like overwhelming love for, for my child. That was not a problem, but I was just so sad thinking that 
that I was doing a disservice with everything I was trying to do. Like you're your own worst critic type of thing. And I already am critical of myself and all things. I'm one of those people that are like, it's got to be perfect. No, it doesn't. Take a gummy and chill. No, it doesn't. And I think honestly, if I had had access to gummies during that time, I would have been a much lighter person, a happier person. I won't get into it. It's very dark. It was dark times. But I'll just say, I hope that people out there have resources. And let me actually find one right now for you. Okay, so this is from the Office on Women's Health. And there is a number you can call for pregnant and new moms, pregnant women and new moms. And it's 1-833-TLC-MAMA, M-A-M-A. 1-833-TLC-MAMA, which is 833-852-6262. And then of course, if you are having extremely dark thoughts, thinking about self-harm in any way, which we hope you are not. But if you are, do not hesitate to call 988. Just pick up your phone and call 988, which is a hotline that will help you if you are having any thoughts of self-harm. And we're we're so hard on moms in general, especially new moms. We're terrible to them. If anyone says anything to you at all about bouncing back or about, you know, baby this or baby that, and are you doing this or doing that? You need to just tell people to F right off, like loud to their face, and then don't see them for at least a year because you need to just focus on yourself. Happy mom is what it's all about. And I'm talking to myself in the past, essentially, but hopefully also any of you out there who are dealing with anything like this. So I don't know what the timeline is for Jessel, but she had twins. She might have been going through something. She said at the reunion that she had four years of IVF. That's a lot of hormones, you know, charging through your body. And so absolutely in my mind, I'm thinking like this person needs grace right now. They do not need to have a lingerie fashion show. But the women were like, try it on, try it on, try it on. She should not have tried it on because it made it worse. And it made her talk about it more and say how much she hated it more and feel, you know, worse about the entire situation. I'm sure the other women were... um, you know, also irritated by it. But anyway, that's my two cents on it. She should not have tried it on. Now it's in the next episode, episode two, it was where it was Aaron and Abe's anniversary speech giving event. I wouldn't call it a party. I'd call it a speech giving event, a presentation. And that's the one where it all went sideways for Bryn and Aaron, because how dare Bryn flirt with the husband Abe? And boy, that just got blown out of proportion. It really did to me. Was it inappropriate? Sure, maybe a little bit, but that's her thing. That's what she does. Like, if you don't like it, don't invite her. Um, And she's doing it as like, it's almost like a charity. You know, it's like a nonprofit. It really is because she just gets crap for it. It's volunteer work. It doesn't pay. She's just trying to boost egos of mediocre men. And this is what she gets in return. Mm. And actually, Abe. Abe blocked me. So let's talk about it real quick. (laughs) So I'm minding my own business one night. I'm recapping. I'm on a gummy. I'm relaxing after a hard day. And someone sends me something saying like, look at this. Abe is (laughs) replying back to people in Spanish when they take issue with with him and his wife, Aaron, starting a Mezcal brand, because the new trend of the past, you know, couple of years is that if you have a couple of coins in your pocket, you're going to, people are going to disagree on this. 
it is kind of culture appropriation for everybody to be starting their own tequila brand. And I feel like The Rock is the only one who gave credit to the people who are actually creating the liquor. And if you remember on Beverly Hills, Kathy was talking about how she was an investor, not the you know creator, but an investor in a tequila brand. And it was Eva Longoria's tequila brand. And Eva Longoria is Mexican, so she can tequila all day, all night, sun up to sundown. And I just looked it up and Eva Longoria was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. That's where my mom is from. Oh, she was Miss Corpus Christi. How interesting. She did not speak Spanish growing up. I was also discouraged from speaking Spanish growing up. I've been trying to learn it on my own in my adult years, which is extremely difficult to do. And so she started her Casa del Sol one. And so there's a lot of people, you know, starting the tequilas and starting the mezcals. People were saying, why'd you do that of all the kinds of things you could have done? And he's replying back in Spanish, which made it worse. And it, I had to make fun of it. So his whole thing was like, I'm Cuban and I speak Spanish and all the stuff that has nothing to do with anything. Because for me, the logical question is, why didn't you make a rum if you're Cuban and you're eager to speak Spanish and you're proud of that heritage? Why not a rum? A mystery for the ages. And so I was blocked pretty quickly. So which removed one of my posts, an image that they took to promote the liquor, which doesn't have the liquor in it, just their backs. <laughs> oh, man, you can't write this. And honestly, I thought I was really nice because a lot of the comments, they had me rolling. People were like, let me get this straight. <laughs> Y'all are donating to stop the steal. and supporting a man who wanted to build a wall for the for the bad hombres to keep him out but then you go and make a mezcal oh amazing commentary this is why we just love we love the bravo sphere we love humanity sometimes because people will call you right out and be like okay mexico wasn't good then but it's good now now you want to do it even my cat's getting in on this so that was that issue but i'm blocked now and I think I've said it before, which is, you know, the house husbands, the ones that I like, you know, they're good because I just, I dislike men in general. And so the ones that I enjoy are, are the top tier and the ones that, that don't like me back, they cannot, they cannot take a joke. They cannot be called to the mats. And there's only a few, I think, house husbands who could handle things right. Oh, you know what? Let me tell a story real quick about Pringle from Southern Charm, because he's one that I called out one time and he handled it wonderfully. So I remember on an episode, uh, one of Pringle's first episodes for Southern Charm, he skirted around the issue. He was very talking very grandly and proudly about his family's history. The problem was he said something specifically of like, I don't know if my family uh, owned slaves, but maybe. It's like, yeah, you know, they did. You know, they did. You know, they did. Just say they did. Because we all know they did. We're all adults here. It's like, we're not American history, right? We're telling the truth in the Bravo space these days. So he skirted around it and he got some heat for it. And I remember tagging him in a story or something where people talking about how he just needed to own it. And he wrote back to me and said something like, something like, you're right, I need to do better. Like, if you have any ideas on how, let me know. And I, as a practice, don't help men fix their self-made problems unless they're directly related to me. And even then, sometimes it's it's touch and go. And I especially don't help men with generational wealth. But I wrote back and I was like, hey, you should just like just acknowledge it. And anyway, he was nice about it. So I'm just saying 
it's possible. And that just showed me that he was not reacting from a place of ego or anger. He was willing to take the feedback because it's essentially what you're doing. You're taking a check, you're putting your life on screen for people, and they're going to have thoughts about it. They're going to have thoughts about what you do, what you say, how you say it. And so you got to be able to hit the ball back for the kind of heat that that people are going to get when they make certain choices to react like a kind of like a kid, you know, block or be mean back. It's not going to get you anywhere because Bravo Sphere, we are the rocks that these cast members crash against. We remain. They ebb and flow out with the tide in in with the new next season. We'll see you around. But if you especially you want to sell us something, you're trying to you're trying to turn a buck. You better learn to roll with the punches. And for as hard as I've gone on the Girardi stuff, Erica Jane has never blocked me. Lisa Rinna has. Erica Jane hasn't. Just saying. And like this, this turned into a very big deal. This whole you're flirting with my husband at our anniversary party. Because um, I believe it was episode three when Aaron goes to visit Jenna and brings her soup. Um, gets the recon about her wanting to go a few days early for her hyperpigmentation, but also because she wants to travel first class, which I don't blame her. And shame on whoever booked the cheap tickets at Bravo. Shame on whatever production company that was that said, oh, yeah, we're going to send all these women coach. Like we're going to make we're going to make a show where we want people to have aspirational wealth and then we're going to fly them coach when first class was an option. No, Jenna's not doing that. That episode is where Aaron sits on Jenna's bed and calls Bryn the C word about allegedly flirting with her husband. <laughs> like, come on, come on. And then after being in her boudoir, she jets down there with the rest of them and then does the hit job on her, on Jenna, trying to talk crap about her behind her back, about how she didn't want to fly with everybody else. And oh yes, all about her skin, but still blah, 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 and gets the ladies all fired up. So Jenna's essentially like walking into a trap. Then, she, you know, Erin, um, she says something that really bothered me. It still kind of does where she said, like, for someone who's so self-conscious about showing her skin, she's sure showing a lot of it. When Jenna shows up and she's in like this like little brown dress that's showing her chest and her back because she's tanned. So it's evened out for her. Um, however, you know, that worked for her. It, it, made her feel confident to show her skin, which we, I have never seen her do before in public. So for her, I think it was probably a really big deal. So to walk in and then have Aaron, you know, say that in her confessional, which the confessionals are filmed at a different time. So she'd already been through the whole thing, you know, looking back still said something like that, which true colors shining through. And so all the ladies are heated. They're mad. They're mad about this first class issue. They're, they want to give her a bad room, which they did. And Brennan and Cy hype each other up about talking a crap about Jenna. And, you know, Aaron really is making a big deal about it. And then this is where, to me, I first start to see like Uba and Jessel begin to have a bond. And they, I think they find each other, <laughs> you know, in a hopeless place. Like they find, they find friendship in a hopeless place. That was a real peak episode for Jenna as, you know, a person who is being kind of ganged up on by some mean girls, you know, in, in her confessional, Aaron says like, actions have consequences, Jenna. And she says it like in that kind of middle schooler way, which was triggering, I think for a lot of us and they give her a bad room and they're all mean to her. And that's, you know, Aaron felt that that was justified, which is so rich 
so rich, richer than any of them could ever hope to be coming from a woman who in the next episode will be crying tearless, tearless crying (laughs) because people call her out on talking crap about people. So man, that's a sunglasses episode is the next one where Uba takes Aaron's sunglasses. And I was, I was team Uba on that because I am a fire sign and I would also be upset if someone stole my cell phone. I thought I left it at a restaurant. I'm freaking out. My family's trying to call me and I don't have it for, you know, however long it was, 45 minutes. Like that's a long time to think that you've left it at a restaurant and then have somebody in the house have it and they're not telling you and they're giggling about it and someone else has to come tell you, no, so-and-so has it. What? Why would you do that? Our phones are not just our phones anymore. They're how we pay bills. They're our email. They're absolutely everything. Like we've made them too much. I get that. Like there's, there's too much value in a phone these days, but to have taken someone's phone and to know that they're panicking and tossing the house and looking for it and you still don't give it back. I, I totally got why Uba was upset and why she went off. You know, people have differing opinions of it. I didn't think that it was too much. Now, if you rewatch that scene, I think, again, I think it's episode four where they're in the lobby area and I feel like Aaron kind of starts up with Uba first. And so then Uba, she will answer the call. If you call her on the red phone, she's picking up that phone immediately. And she did. And she walked right up to Aaron was like, "Uh uh-uh. And then she took the sunglasses and was like, I'm holding these for 45 minutes. And that's nothing. Your sunglasses are nothing. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's not even, that's not even bad. I deserve that. And I swear I can practically hear some of you yelling, but she took them off her face. It wasn't just that she took her sunglasses. She took them off her face. And I hear you. What I will say to that is rewatch that episode and see how Aaron is escalating the situation and Uba takes them off of her face. I would not be happy if somebody took my sunglasses off of my face, but I would also say, what did I do that contributed to this situation? (laughs) And that's a level of introspection you're not going to find on Real Housewives. Erin, quote, had never been treated that way in her entire life, which just says you've had a good life. That's what that says. Put that on your tombstone if you're going to take up earth when you go. Because that just means you you had a pretty good existence. If that's if you've never been treated that way in your entire life, that was my takeaway. And then uh, you know, Aaron runs off a couple different times in that episode. And I think even Jenna, you know, goes to console her and just be her friend and be there with her, which is so nice considering that Jenna had just survived a hit job by Aaron, and she still went and comforted her and didn't get into any of the fun the ladies were having. They were like you know, doing um, games on the beach and stuff. And Jenna watched from afar while Aaron complained to her about how difficult things were for her, uh, which is hilarious. And then, you know, when she goes, she stomps off and goes back to the house because they won't let her off the hook. They're insisting that she be (laughs) held accountable for talking crap about people, including Jenna, the person who ran off to, to be her friend. And she runs off to the house and she calls her dad on the phone while crying I just still don't think that they were actual tears while the people who work in the villa are making her snacks and she's sipping (laughs) wine out of a wine glass and she omits to her father how long she actually had the phone. She's like, for just like two minutes. It's like, if you're going to tell him, tell him the whole thing. You just wanted someone to say poor baby and that you're great and whatever. So that part got me that she had to go and complain and call someone like phone a friend and have them tell her that she's great and whatever. So Uba comes back and then I got even madder when Aaron was like, Uba, come 
to come outside and, and do what she wants to do. But I think in her defense, Uba said something like, you don't talk to me that way. And she asked her nicely, like, Uba, please come outside and sit with me. So they ended up getting over it, but not after a long time because she still wouldn't she still wouldn't be held accountable. And there's that whole scene in the hot tub and everybody starts piling on her because they're like, no, we will not accept your gaslighting. And her response is to start <laughs> yelling and crying and saying everyone's against her and they're abusing me. She's abusing me is what she said about Uba, which come on, come on. And Sai stuck up for her the whole time. And Bryn, even Bryn tagged in, which was great. She's like, hey, I'm the one who got yelled at for this, this, and this. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was Aaron vacillating between crying without tears, sans tears, and then also trying to pretend like she's like a mob boss um, and bossing people around. That just, that whole episode rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know if anybody else here watches South Park, but that episode reminded me, like Aaron reminded me so much of Cartman, where... Uh, there, there's an episode where the um, the dog whisperer comes and won't let Cartman get away with bad behavior. And every time he keeps trying to, he's like, and he keeps, no, I want to do what I want to do. And he keeps to him and he finally just like rolls over on his back and gives up. It reminded me of that or Super Nanny, where they just keep putting a kid in their room. The kid's throwing a fit and coming out and screaming like it's the end of the world. And she's like, stay strong, stay strong. Super Nanny says that to the mom and the mom has to just keep putting the kid or the dad, keep putting the kid back in the room, keep putting the kid back in the room. The kid's going nuts. Keep putting the kid back in the room and the kid finally passes out. That was that episode to me in a nutshell between Super Nanny and Cartman being trained by the dog whisperer. That was that episode. As soon as everyone had made peace and things were copacetic, Aaron and Cy, they'd start talking crap about Jessel. Uh, anything they can make fun of, anything they can make fun of about Jessel, they do it. Oh, did you hear that Jessel takes notes about people? Oh, and I just was blown away by that. I'm like, you just got checked for talking mad crap about people. Behind there, and you just gonna jump right back into it. It's like these are the only waters she knows. And that's the only place she's comfortable. All right, so be it. This is what the two got going for them. That's gonna be there. That's gonna be what they give us. That's what we're gonna get from Aaron and Sai. So a lot of things that what I found odd about about Roni was like, y'all can't move on from stuff. Like you don't don't Lucy Lucy apple juice me. You know stuff that happens in episode one and two. We're gonna drag this throughout the whole season. Oh, I found that a little annoying. Now, a highlight came in the next episode where Jessel does a photo shoot at Jenna's apartment. It was nice of Jenna to let her do it at her apartment. Then she loans her some eyelashes, which was probably pre-planned to plug the eyelashes. And then I thought it was really nice that Uba came over. Uba came over and she gave her some sort of creative input. Jenna popped out and gave her some creative input. And it just really, to me, was nice to see women supporting women in their businesses and helping each other out. You know, um, that was really a good thing because I think what made Classic Roni so enjoyable for its its amazing years that it was on was that you really felt like the women were friends and at the end of the day did enjoy each other did truly have a good time together and supported each other. Even if they had their fights and their falling out, they always would talk about how after the reunion, they all go out 
or there's so many fun times that they have that aren't on camera. And there's something about knowing that that makes you want to see these people more and you enjoy them more. And to me, there's a difference between friendly bickering, like fights amongst a friend group and a takedown, which I think is where a lot of the housewives go now. They just go to 10. They go to takedown assassination mode and they don't need to do that. Keep it light, ladies. You know, Uba and Sai, they are they are quite close. They are quite close. Even now they are quite close. Like I remember, here's a story from BravoCon. I was out and I saw Uba and Sai together. I've seen and heard Uba defend Sai a couple of times of like, actually, she's really nice. And she just, you know, did you go, you all didn't get to see some good moments of hers. Well, okay, but that's what the show showed us. So I don't know what to tell you. Whenever anyone says that about that, well, actually this, you just didn't get to see it. But don't, then you better make a reel. Feel free to make some reels. Feel free to post some TikToks and show us something else because you see what we see and what would you think? You know, because all we saw was she's attached to, to Aaron and coming for people left and right in pretty terrible ways. So the fact that Uba is so close with Sai and yet does not enjoy Aaron was so interesting because Sai and Aaron are super close. And I think that's pretty rare to like someone a lot, but then to really dislike their closest friend, it seems. It's a weird dynamic. Then it's what the point I was getting to was that it's odd that Uba and Sai are still so close after Sai told everybody the one secret that Uba told her. Like, I'm dating someone, this man from this state. Don't tell anybody. Here's a picture of him. I'm trusting you, I think were the words. And then Sai runs and tells Aaron as soon as Aaron tells her, actually, Uba didn't enjoy that your husband asked her why she was single and how can you be single when you're so great? And Sai's like, well, you know, she's dating someone. So she immediately tells her and kind of tries to backtrack it, but she did. She betrayed her and she told her secret. And then she tells it again off camera at Cipriani's when Aaron and Cy take Bryn out for a birthday dinner. And I personally think that they had a little agreement. This is my theory. My theory is that they went out to that dinner and they had an airing of grievances, a mini festivus, where they told each other secrets. They messed up by not pinky promising a circle of trust, obviously, not signing some NDAs. I think that they made a pact that at Bryn's birthday, the last episode of the show, that they were going to confront Pavit because Bryn knew that Pavit had called Sai the B word and also accused her in, in an insulting kind of way. He should have never said it. it was like, well, Sai is bipolar and he should never use that as a dig or as a joke. You know, but he did and Bryn heard that. And so I think they all discussed that there. This is just my theory and decided they were going to have this like big confrontation because it doesn't make sense that at her birthday party, Bryn wanted to have like a circle. She puts everybody together in a circle and is like, now let's all talk about our issues with her. <laughs> it's like, is this a birthday thing? Is this like a uh, duck, duck, goose? Is this a new, a new game we played our birthdays? And then the first words out of her mouth were... Pavit, you called so-and-so this. And it's like, okay, you just wanted to, you wanted to set this scene and you wanted to air this out. But in Pavit's defense, he held fast on calling Sai the B word. <laughs> He's like, if I said it, she probably deserved it. And I think if you're a nice person, you know that if somebody makes you snap, they probably deserved it. And is there anything better than a nice person snapping? I don't think that there is. 
I personally, one of my favorite things in life is like when the nicest person, you know, loses it on someone or goes off. It really is a beautiful thing because you know, it had to be bad and the person had to have deserved it. And Pavit put up with a lot. They came for his family. They came for his, they put rumors about him cheating. It was relentless the entire season coming for his wife left and right. So for him to remain chipper and remain pleasant was commendable. His miles run, blah, blah, blah. And they go crazy on Pavit's miles run. Well, guess what? Miles runs are completely normal. They're completely normal and people do it for good reason because once you've had top tier service from an airline, you will do and should do anything to maintain that. If you could go on a quick trip to maintain top tier service, why would you not? I'll fly somewhere, have a sandwich and come back. It was so interesting to hear from my followers on this because many, many of you all are avid business travelers. And if you have to travel for business, It already stinks to have to leave your house to essentially like go to a meeting. So if you're traveling X days out of the year, you are probably going to get some kind of status and you want to maintain that. And so this is a normal thing, a miles run. It's a normal thing. And a lot of people do it. You take anybody, you put them in first class and you're like, oh, dang, this is nice. This is nice. It's nice to have the option to upgrade or to be upgraded because of being such a loyal flyer. So anyway, I defend that miles run all day long, but the fact that they turned that miles run into an alleged affair or nefarious in some way because of the location, first of all, you want to talk about some microaggressions when they all are coming after Pavit, then Jessel's like, Hey, how about you guys stop trying to insinuate that I'm, my husband was having an affair on me and she's just yelling and like, well, your wife lies sometimes. And, and she's like, well, how do I lie? And they're like, the Thailand trip, just dumb, just dumb stuff. Poor Jessel. And Jessel does not scream back at her. She's always chill and calm. And of course that irritates Bryn who thinks she should be fighting. Their, their whole, the psyche of every single person on that show is really interesting to watch at play. And I, I don't think there's anything like a first season because people sort of, and they should, they kind of address their personalities for seasons two and beyond usually, even, even if it's just a little bit, even if they make the tiniest tweak or adjustment, I think season one for any, any franchise, let alone a new real housewife season one is the most truthful season for any of them. So it was interesting to watch because size reaction to being confronted in that episode, because sweet baby Bryn, um, who's 36, but she's a sweet baby Bryn to us. She says, Hey, Uba, I heard you're dating a man in Connecticut. And the look on Uba's face when she realizes that her secret is out in such a way that Bryn feels comfortable yelling that at her birthday party. Ooh, she gets so mad. The kind of mad where somebody gets quiet, <laughs> which is the scary mad. When somebody just doesn't even, like, she just wanted to leave. That's how mad she was. And Bryn is like, realizes that she said something she wasn't supposed to say. Sai realizes that everybody knows that she told the secret and her reaction is terrible. Sai is the worst reaction ever. She's, you know, denying, I didn't, who, what, when, me, who said that, the whole thing. And then Bryn won't let her off the hook, which I thought was great. And she's got a lot of redeeming qualities, Bryn does. Now we'll get into my thoughts on every single one of the cast members in a minute, but I thought that was a great moment for her that she was like, no, actually, Ellen, 
this is not how what happened. Like that was her moment. And she says, which by the way, that's a reference to Dakota Johnson correcting Ellen on her show and forever changing how we saw Ellen and Dakota Johnson. So she says to her, no, actually you, you said that. And then you said it on camera and you said that to me and you didn't tell me it was a secret and da, da, da. And Cy really tries to deny it. And she starts screaming, like really yelling a couple of times. And that was a little bit alarming to see her reaction to that, that her reaction wasn't just to immediately say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. It took her, she gets there finally, but after a long time, she, she, she yells a couple of times and it's, I mean, I had to put the volume down on my television. That's how loud she was yelling. And I'm a person who doesn't enjoy yelling. Some people come from a yelling family where everyone is loud and, and yelling is normal. My family was not a yelling family. And I, I honestly wonder, we'll get into this for, in a minute, but I wonder, I wonder if Sai should even be on the show because it seems like she, you know, enjoys a curated content version of herself where she gets to, you know, edit photos and put those out on Instagram and wherever else she puts them out. But this is very different. This is a, a different medium that you can't control. If her story and, and Uba's story is like, well, you, there's great moments, you just didn't get to see them. And she's so great, you just didn't get to see it. And it's like, well, they showed us you were screaming. Like, I don't care how great you are outside of that. That's, that's pretty monumental moment there. And you screamed quite a bit at people. Even if she had amazing, wonderful, loving moments, like when push came to shove, she sort of just loses it on people. I mean, Dorinda was put on pause for as much. So just saying. And that final episode was so good at Bryn's birthday party to see Jessel really stand up for herself and say the things that we knew the whole season, which she says every time there's an issue. It's always the two of you against me. And that is the fact. That's a fact that it was always Aaron and Sai against Jessel for some reason. They decided they didn't like her. They decided to tell her that the life story that she shared with them was lies. They decided to tell her that Pavit's Miles run was lies. They decided to just pile on her and the details of her intimate life and tell her that that wasn't okay in a million ways. They also ganged up on Jenna quite a few times during the season, so much so that I made a post about that where I was like, leave Jenna alone. It was tough to see them all pile on Jenna, criticize her for the gifts, criticize her for being who she is, criticize her for anything they could criticize her for. It was like, enough. Can you just go be interesting? Here's, I double dog dare you to just go be interesting and think of your own storylines and not have your storyline be that you are just mean to everybody. We get enough of that. We, we're fine with that. That's not new. That doesn't make you unique. Doesn't make you stand out. Even right now, if you ask me to describe Sai and her likes and dislikes, I don't know what her likes and dislikes are. All I know is if you tell her that you didn't grow up with a lot of money, She's going to ask you how many dollars you had. And then she's going to scream in your face that she had negative dollars. <laughs> that's it. Like that, that's the takeaway. And that she's going to lean into this I'm hungry thing. And that's why there's, you know, the old rule of thumb of like, if you've got camera time, make it about you. Because the more you talk about someone else, the more you let them take over your story. And that's where I think there's a lot of housewives out there that maybe just aren't interesting maybe just don't know what to talk about when they think, I want to be popular. I want to be famous. I want people to envy me. And it's like, okay, bet. Here's a camera. What you got? 
And maybe there's not much there. But I maintain that Pavit and Jessel came out on top. He is so funny to me. He made a recap of his miles run to Thailand. And it is hilarious. If you haven't seen it, go to his page. I forget his handle. I'll look it up for you. His Instagram is at the wingman, but wing has three eyes. The wingman. He made a recap of his trip and it is so full of shade. It's full of shade. It's like he wrote out a script and bless him. I hope that he did because it is cheeky and it's upbeat and it's the perfect. It's like our absolute temperature of porridge over at Bravo, where it's shady without being cruel or mean spirited. It's just fun. It's fun shade. And so he did great of that. And I think he actually was working with um, the points guy, which I've tried to do that a few times where you try to kind of like leverage your points and turn them and convert this from that and whatever. And it really is. It's kind of amazing what you can figure out how you can travel better. Because as anybody in my life knows about me, I'm a very um, frugal person. But when I travel, I like to travel well. Because if I, again, if I'm leaving my house, the comforts of my home, I don't want it to be painful or I won't go. Like I've done my time. I've slept on the floors of trains traveling, you know, with no money in my pocket. And so I've done my time with very low end travel. <laughs> and, but now that I'm a grown up with grown up money, I know that I can travel well. So the season overall, a lot of the feedback that I got from the season overall was that it was a, it was like a very trauma, as Jamie Lee Curtis would say, a very trauma focused season. Sai talking about her upbringing quite a bit, um, her issues with her mother. Uh, Uba had lost her mother. Jenna had lost her mother. Bryn talking about her issues um, as a, you know, being essentially abandoned by her parents as an infant, which was heartbreaking, the loss of her grandmother who raised her and wanted better for her. It was a lot. It was a bit of a heavy, you know, um, season. They really focused a lot on that. People wanted to see from, again, from the polls and the feedback that I've gotten from my followers, people wanted to see them going to more New York establishments, seeing more of New York City which is such a fantastic place. And, you know, hopefully next season there will be a bit more of that. But um, yeah, overall the the season was 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 a heavy one and then a mean one. So there was a lot of like emotions in in different ways. I felt definitely drained after a lot of the episodes from crying with people to then getting angry on behalf of people for how they were being I think bullied quite a few times in the episodes. I would have probably lost it if I'd been there and, and seen some of that. Cause I, as everybody knows, like I get, I get madder for other people than I do for myself. And I couldn't have stomached that for a minute for how some of those women were, were treated for no reason other than people are just boring and they can't think of content. They can't think of their own interesting things to say or to think or to do like, geez, chickpea is neither a chick nor a pea discuss. There's other things to talk about. You don't have to just be mean to other people all the time. Like you take pictures of yourself wearing clothes in the street. All right. Like you're just casually walking and you do that a thousand times to get that one shot. That's weird to a lot of us. We're not being mean about it. Pavit likes to likes to have some points. Everybody's got their thing. Okay, I'm going to review each cast member. I'm going to start with Sai with my least, well, is she my least favorite? She's close. 
well, we'll just say she is for today. When she said to Jessel, it doesn't seem like you guys have a connection at all, referring to Jessel and her husband. How dare? That's just so rude and terrible. And I often think an accusation is, is a confession. And so I'm like, why don't you worry about your own little marriage? And then people start popping off online about how Sai allegedly, you know, met her husband. And I'll have to find the source of that. But it was all over the place for a minute there saying that she uh, met him at his restaurant. And when he was married and she was a hostess, it's like, goo, no one mentioned any of that. That's something. That's interesting. Why don't you pull a Monica and call yourself out in episode one and be like, hey, I'm going to call myself out <laughs> like she did. Like you might as well. Because if there's one thing we don't need, it's more cast members who are hiding the truth of their life while trying to give us this fake narrative. That's not like we got so much of that. And that's why to me, Potomac shines because they get into it. So I hope that New York will take a note and look back and see what resonated with people and what didn't. And if they keep the exact same cast, then they got to up their game. And, and people did talk about it floundering towards the end of the season, which was a shame because hopes were high. But it's up to the cast members to be like, OK, enough of my games, enough of my BS, enough of my lack of storyline and just making middle school fights with other women. Like, let me actually bring something to the table. And that's what I think about Sai. She needs to bring something to the table. All right, let's go to Jenna. We're going to go. We're going to ebb and flow on this. Jenna, how far we've fallen because I thought she was great. She's as close as I've ever come to really, really liking a housewife. You know, some people are like, oh my gosh, this is my favorite housewife. I love this housewife. I'm always like, you know, I have my, I have the people that I like and the people that I dislike, but I'm not like, oh, oh, what would I do to hang out with this person? I love this person, but I started to really like her. And this is where you always say to yourself, a crush is nothing more than a lack of information. And it's so true because I just didn't know enough. I didn't know enough. But let's talk about when I, when I liked Jenna. All right. The fact that she had never been on a girl's trip before, that she had insecurities about her appearance. She explained to people why she wears what she wears, why she does what she does. I never knew before because I'd never researched Jenna Lyons that, you know, she ha she grew up with a, you know, an issue with her teeth, that she had an issue with her hair and that fashion gave her a sense of confidence when she was able to put outfits together. I thought that was such an amazing thing that she shared all of that with us, that she offered Aaron her friendship like 30 seconds pretty much after Aaron had tried to dog her in front of all the women about arriving early and going first class and they all gave her the worst room, she was still kind about it. And she said something on the show, which was like, I've got a lot of things going for me. <laughs> like I don't need the best room. And that attitude was so great. She knows that in the grand scheme of things, they can't touch her. They can't hurt her. She's fine. And to me, that's, that's real maturity. And that's the ability to sort of like see above the fray and be above the fray is to say like, let these people chomp at my ankles if they want to. I'm, I'm rising above this. I'm so above this. It's, it's crazy. I really, really enjoyed her. She took photos of the woman <clears throat> dutifully when they jumped into the ocean after they had been terrible to her about showing her skin all of that, she never once was how she could have been. She was never spiteful. She was never mean-spirited at all. 
So I really enjoyed her. I had high hopes for Jenna. The whole thing about her, like, I just felt like I really liked this person. But the record scratch for me came the day after BravoCon. It was November 6th. I was flying home with no nose, no first layer of skin from just the desert experience. And I saw on my cell phone an Entertainment Tonight clip that was circulating where a reporter asked Jenna Lyons, oh, why weren't you at BravoCon? And she said, I had some things to do, some really important things. And she gives like a cheeky smile and she's like, like twiddle my thumbs. And it was so rude and it was so awful. And she was the only cast member that I can think of who did not go to BravoCon. And so to her, to have it make it seem like she was too, too cool or she just didn't want to be bothered with it was, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And if you keep watching that interview, she goes on to say, no, just kidding. Just kidding. I had an event to go to, but it's like, well, I don't think you are just kidding. I don't think you are just kidding. Is then the woman says, well, are, you know, are you sad that you missed it? Like, feel free to just say, yeah, I think, it, you know, it might've been fun to be there. I've never been to one, but she's like, no. <laughs> Sorry, everybody who spent $1,600 to go there. Uh, no, I'm glad I wasn't there. And like, I was here twiddling my thumbs. That was rough. That was rough to hear in transit from the desert. I truly believe like if you think you're too cool to go to BravoCon, if BravoCon seems like a bother to you, get off the show. Why are you on the show? That's part of it. If you don't want to go to BravoCon, don't take the check. Period. End of story. But let's talk about the coup de grace. For me, the coup de grace was then a, a few weeks later on November 27th. Yes, I wrote down these dates for this recap. There was an announcement that came out, hit the wires from Blackstone, which is a private equity conglomerate. Je deteste private equity. Anybody who's paying attention hates private equity. And the announcement was that Jen Alliance is joining Blackstone's new brand agency as its executive director. Say no more. I know everything about her that I need to know now. Because what, what did she make sure that we knew? She made sure we knew that she was wealthy, that she had a lot of things going for her. She just launched her, her eyelash line, which is probably why she went on the show in the first place to sell some eyelashes. And so she doesn't need any more money. She's got a lot of money, but she took Blackstone money. She took Blackstone money, which that to me is the, is the I'm a get mine at any cost to humanity club. And that's a club I want nothing to do with. And that right there, that announcement on November 27th made me realize, okay, I don't think she's coming back. I already thought she wasn't coming back when she didn't go to BravoCon. But when you've got private equity money, uh, that is a spare no expense type money that they throw at things that they do. So I am sure that she's being very well paid for this pilot brand agency that they're doing. She may not come back and I'm, I'm fine with that. I think we, we are experienced her. She had a good season and let it end there. Now, if she does come back, my theory is that it may have been a contingency with the private equity group that she go back and then talk about that stuff 
on the show in an effort to win hearts and minds, which is not going to happen because Bravo viewers are way too smart and they are continually underestimated by everyone all the time. And uh, yeah, we're just way too smart for that. Sorry. Now we'll move to Uba because Uba has been saying for a while that, you know, Jenna's not so great and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm going to go back and watch the reunion again now knowing what I know uh, about Jenna and her private equity role. But Uba, I, I had no idea what to expect from her, but I was so pleasantly surprised with her every episode. She is so funny. I think she's down to earth. She calls it like it is. She does not take crap from anyone. And I appreciate that. I mean, I remember when she showed up at Jenna's apartment and she did not know that there were going to be cameras there. And she made an awkward moment where she was like, yo, if there's going to be cameras here, I need you to tell me, essentially, is what she said. Like, I don't like coming over here and there's cameras and you didn't tell me that there were going to be cameras when I showed up. I thought that was great. I mean, she was setting a firm boundary. She was telling you right then, my expectation of you is going to be that you tell me if there are cameras rolling when I'm going to walk in. And I would too. I would want to know as well. It seemed, and you know, Jenna's thing was like, oh, I thought that they did tell you. And so maybe it was just a misunderstanding, but can you imagine going to someone's house, whether or not you're on a reality show with them, but you go to someone's house and they didn't tell you there was going to be cameras there and you walk in and there's cameras in your face. That's a completely different situation. That would probably affect your choice of what clothes, hair, makeup, your mood, the food you had that day, all of it. So for her to just very clearly say that and be willing to stand up in her, and the fact that they included it, because there might be things like that that happen all the time that we don't get to see. But I like that they showed that of her of like, hey, the, this is what she expects out of you. And I really, I really like that Uba stood up to Aaron and would not let her wiggle out of anything. She was like, no. Now, Uba did end up apologizing a few times, which bothered me because Aaron, I don't think, like, you really got to wrestle an apology out of her. Shocking. But um, Uba did get her to, I believe, apologize and admit that she was talking a lot of crap about a lot of people. And so that was good. But poor Uba. She really had to put the work in for that. She really did. Um, all right. Moving on to Aaron. I am not a fan, but I'm so not a fan that it's almost fun to dislike her at this point. Because I don't think Aaron is like mean spirited or malicious or evil. I just think she's insanely obtuse. And she will not make it when society collapses. Um, I'd like, I, it would be fun to see a show where Aaron faces real challenges uh, because her no one has ever treated me this way comment is still pretty surprising. Like no one's ever called you out in your life. No one's ever gotten mad at your unfunny pranks. And then at the reunion where Aaron denied ever insinuating that there was possible infidelity on Pavit's end, that was so hard. It's like Aaron is such a gaslighter. I think I wrote down somewhere and I said this in one of my, I said this in one of my recaps, um, you know, that Aaron is like the personification, like if gaslighting came to life and was powered by microaggressions. And I stand by that. I stand by that. That was my takeaway after watching the show. If there's something else out there and we didn't see it, boy, I would love, I would love to know what that is. Maybe season two will surprise us, but that was my takeaway for season one. Actually, that reminds me, someone did make a TikTok about Aaron. I have it up on my highlights. It's a young woman who served as her unpaid intern and then moved on to assistant and retelling how she was treated 
and what happened in that in that situation. And that's up in my highlights. It's up on TikTok as well still. And it's very interesting to see how someone treats their interns. And that would have been such a good opportunity for them to say, oh, we, because she had her email. Like, it's not like, like she showed it. Like they, it was them. It was them talking to her. And there's not a lot of doubt in my mind after I watched that, it's my opinion. And they could have come out and been like, oh my gosh, that was however many years ago, seven years, how, who knows? I'm like, we feel so bad about that. We do apologize. We could have handled that better. We should have handled that better. You were doing too much. We see now that that was too much responsibility we're putting on you. But that's assuming that they actually feel that way. They might have been like, whatever, we stand by it. So, eh. And coming for Pavit, like, leave, leave him alone. He literally is just trying to maintain his miles. And then what was really, what was really irritating was that there's even, there's even a news article about Jessel and Pavit because he was so into points, even when they were dating, that for their honeymoon, their entire honeymoon was paid for with points that he had accumulated. So this is not a new thing. But that's what that's what's so irritating about these housewives. Like, take a second and just look it up on your phone. You have a device that gives you the answer to everything in the freaking universe, pretty much. You have a device in your hand that you could just stop and look something up and you could find out that Pavit just likes points. It's not a mystery. It's it's not a weird thing for him. That's what he does. And I'm sorry, but you you don't get to call yourself a hip New Yorker if you don't know who Cardi B is. Those two things, they cancel each other out. So I don't care how many ear holes you have or, you know, what stylist you paid to dress you. You're, you're not a hip New Yorker if you don't know who Cardi B is. Just facts. End of story. All right. Now, Bryn. I enjoy Bryn. And, you know, when I was at BravoCon, I remember waiting in line for something and there was a group of women behind me and they were talking about how much they like Bryn. And they were just saying, she's so great. She's so funny. She's adorable. Like they were just gushing over her in the sweetest way. And she is likable. Like that's her superpower. You know, she's a likable person. Having said that, I think she had some speed bumps her first season. I think she's going to be a housewife for a long time, barring any unforeseen things. But, you know, she, I, I took umbrage <laughs> with something, which was that uh, during her season, she said she had a lot of commentary and look, you could, you could blame the editing, right? But she had a ton of footage of you saying stuff like, I like a rich guy, that kind of energy and vibe. And so people on the interwebs, you know, they took it the way the internet does where they speculate. Um, but I guess she took it as people were accusing her of kind of being like, um, I think her words that she used were like sugar baby. I never saw anybody calling her that, that runs an account and I'm not like on Twitter. It's just so toxic these days, but you know, that was her perception. Her perception was anybody speculating based on things that she herself said on the show, you know, was putting that out into the universe and discounting her career that she's very proud of. And so she came for a Bravo account. I believe it was Bravo and Botox, who I enjoy. And, you know, asterisk, I'm not super close with that account. We've never like DM'd about anything other than, LOL, I like what you posted. 
Um, so it's not like I have, you know, a personal stake in this other than I think a lot of the Bravo accounts are just great people who have a job and a family and their own stuff. And this is just something they do for levity in their life and fun. And because they are passionate about Bravo and Bravo and Botox's big thing that they do that account is they post compilations of different tweets and things that Bravo fans put up online. And they're, you know, they do it every week for every show. It's a lot of work and it's hilarious. It's a snapshot of what people are thinking, their feedback and the memes that they make and put out. So it's really just like this, you know, curated, whatever the most popular memes are about Bravo on the internet. And so she got heat um, from Bryn accusing her of putting out into the world that she, you know, lives on money from men or takes money from men. It was really, it was a little out of pocket. And like, I think Bryn publicly called her out um, to a publication. Uh, uh, just when you go for the Bravo accounts, you know, I, it's really got to be someone who is like trolling or causing harm. Like it's such a reach to go for Bravo and Botox based on them sharing something that you didn't like, especially with, with her edits. It's like, be mad at Bravo or be mad at yourself for saying some of the stuff that you said. And like, nobody's judging anybody forever. It's season one. Like we get it. That was her shtick. That was her thing. That was her card. It's even her opening line, you know, whatever, be nice to me or I'll date your dad. Like, LOL, we get it. It was like Sai's food thing. It got pushed a little bit too much of Sai saying she always wanted, she was always hungry and wanted to eat some food. Big deal. She took that too far. And then um, in kind of a retort to that, to anyone suggesting anything in that realm, she was like, here's my, here's my resume. And she put it out to the world, like, look at all the stuff I've done. You should be impressed. Uh, I am a consultant. Well, my question there is that, you know, on her CV, she had something that people bristled at, which is that she worked, she did PR for the Deepwater Horizon tragedy, oil spill from BP. If you have not seen that movie, by the way, you need to just go ahead and watch it. I really enjoy that movie a lot. I think it does a great job of showing you what went wrong, what happened. It's very uh, well done. It's scary when it needs to be. It's sad when it needs to be. And it's compelling the whole time. And I think that came out in 2015 or 2016. But it depicts BP executives being on this offshore oil rig and pushing the crew to go beyond what they were comfortable with doing. It's like a, it's a drilling rig. And they had a blowout as a result, a blowout. And so it, you know, the pipes down there burst and oil came shooting out into the Gulf of Mexico. And it's the, the worst, the absolute worst oil spill in United States history still to this day. That's how bad it was. It was a blowout that lasted for 87 days and it spilled 210 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. And it's because these BP executives were on the oil rig and wouldn't let them do some final testing that they wanted to do. And so the movie shows everybody being very upset about them, the ex executives not wanting them to do this final testing. And they warned them and Kurt Russell is in it. And I love Kurt Russell. Anything he's in, I just think is so good. I'm talking about all of it. I'm a Kurt Russell fan, Escape New York, <laughs> uh, Overboard. I love Kurt Russell. And Kate Hudson's in it too, which of course she's his, you know, daughter in real life. 
I, I mean, it was a, it's a good movie. Gina Rodriguez, I believe. Yes, she plays a character who she's one of the first people to actually like really uh, in the wheelhouse kind of notice that things are going wrong and the BP guys try to stop her from taking action. It's well done. It's chilling to see the kind of impact that one company, a couple of egomaniac men can have on the natural world and so many of us. And what's really sad is, you know, many people died on that rig, I believe 11, because the two BP executives, we're going to say their name, know their name, Donald Vitrine and Robert Kaluza, they were the only BP employees prosecuted as a result of that disaster, only those two. And they were each charged with 11 counts of manslaughter. But guess what? A couple of years later, all the charges were dismissed. Yeah. So I don't care how good Bryn is at PR. Nobody can can fix that. No one. Uh, it's really devastating. It's really depressing on so many levels. And other than, you know, cutting checks to the families that they destroyed with those with those actions and trying to clean up the Gulf of Mexico forever, I really don't know what good PR you could put out into the world. But people bristled at that. And they're like, uh, your clap back to someone is to say that you worked on on the Deepwater Horizon spill. Now, having said that, I realize that if you work for a company, you maybe don't get to choose your your clients. But her flex was, I'm a consultant. So if you're a consultant, if you're a 1099, then you do get to. So who knows? Maybe there's some overlap there. Maybe not. Maybe she wasn't a 1099 at the time. and She couldn't choose her own client. Uh, but either way, I probably wouldn't put that on my resume. And I especially wouldn't put it on my resume as a clapback. I wouldn't be like, oh, oh, you don't think I work? Have you ever heard of Cruella DeVille? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Cruella DeVille. <clears throat> yeah, I do her PR. So check yourself. Have you ever heard the shark from Jaws? His name is Stanley. He's a real shark. He's a cool guy. He's always been nice to me. Mm-hmm. I do his PR. He's actually pretty great if you just get to know him. He's just mean when he's hungry. Like, I don't, I don't know that I would do that. And also, by the way, Corella DeVille and the shark from Jaws, nothing compared to a 210 million gallon oil spill. Small potatoes. And I still wouldn't do those. I mean, I, unless you're about it. And if you're about it, be about it. Maybe she is. Maybe she's like, big oil. Yeah, I, I think it's great. But anyway, so uh, that's, that's that issue. If you heard anything about that, that's what that was about. And then we get to Jessel. Actually, before we get to Jessel, let's talk about Bryn's flirting again, because there was on her birthday episode, the final episode before the reunion, she had her cake and she was like, I want a picture with all the husbands. And it really was just being laid on thick. And I was like, well, you know, maybe she's had some drinks. And she's like, hand job, hand job by Bryn. And like, you know, got the knife and pretended to do a hand job. She holds her hair back and pretends to be like going, you know, down on the, on the knife. It's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. And she's just better than that. And uh, I put a poll up on my account and I was like, man, you know, I just, I, I want better for her. I was like, all right. So everybody vote here. Maybe it's just me. You know, option one, uh, we got to let this go. This isn't doing for you what we think this is doing for you. You know, you're better than this. Option two was, it's fine. She's just having fun. And I think it was 96% 
90, yeah, 94%, excuse me, I just checked. 94% said, Bryn, you're better than this. Stop this. Rain it in. And only 6% said, chill out. It's fine. So it's just a note. I think we're going to see a difference in her if she comes back for season two. I think she's going to realize that was a, a bit too loud of a storyline and not how she wants to be perceived because she knows she's proud of her uh, fervor for rare books. I also see her realizing that she bet on the wrong horses, plural, because she tied her wagon to uh, Aaron and Cy towards the end there, giggle, giggle fest with them at Cipriani. And uh, if she's at all paying attention to the vibes of the Bravo Sphere, we're not about it. We don't want to have anything to do with Aaron and Cy. Uh, they were terrible at the reunion. They were horrible as well. Usually that's a redemption scene for a lot of people, but they tried to downplay and gaslight even more like what their comments on, on, you know, people's relationships on postpartum depression on all of it. It was just like getting worse, digging the hole deeper. So she's going to have to cut bait on that and stand on her own two feet. I think it's dangerous to get yourself into an alliance. If there's anything we've learned from Beverly Hills, stand on your own two feet, be the straw that stirs the drink on your own. And I, we hope that for her in season two. All right, Jessel. As I said previously, Jessel initially irritated me, but by, you know, episode three, I realized like, oh, no, no, no. Jessel, she's the good witch. And I need to be paying more attention to her because her reactions in these situations are that of a very, you know, chill, collected person dealing with pretty kind of hateful women. <laughs> so I quickly was like, okay, no, I think Jessel's is much better. I think she was just in a mood over the lingerie and you can't judge her on that. And the best part about that is that the reason that I think myself and other people realized how great Jessel was, was because Cy and Aaron put her so much in the spotlight. They were horrible to her. They, she was the center of their stories and their narrative. She came out of their mouths. She was living rent free in their heads. And so she had us all, we were hyper fixated on Jessel. They made her a star. And that's got to burn them up. That's got to burn them up. You know it does. And we love it for them because that's what happens to haters. You can't keep somebody's name out of your mouth on the show and you end up elevating them. Because we saw how terribly she was being treated and she handled it so well. But she's great. She's so funny. She's, she makes a lot of like one-liners that are, that are very funny to me. And I enjoy her honesty. Uh, I like her relationship with Pavit. I don't know what Sai was seeing or projecting about that. But she seems lovely. She wants her children to succeed. She's, you know, got her mother there. Anyway, and then she looked beautiful at BravoCon. She's wearing my favorite color, which is like this, a crazy Mediterranean blue. So anyway, Jessel turned out to be, you know, the rising star of the season. And I feel like towards the end, especially, you know, she, Uba and you know, some Bryn, but they were really the reasons to to tune in along with Jenna because, oh man, Cy and Aaron were just making the show unbearable. It's like, I, I couldn't really, I would not be watching if there weren't some funny moments to look forward to from the others. Final thoughts on the season are that they need to let Cy or Aaron go. And I'm fine if Jenna doesn't come back. Cause again, private equity money, she's, she's got her hands full probably. 
I do think maybe it should be Sai that doesn't come back. As much as I do not enjoy Aaron, she's not a hateful villain. She's just a completely out of touch one. So as far as villains go, could be worse. She could have her funny moments. She could tell people she loves them and then, you know, be horrible behind their back. So at least we know what to expect. But yeah, I can't see them messing with the cast too much. I don't think Jenna's coming back. So they're going to need to probably find at least one to two, at least one to two interesting people who live in New York City. And I wish them luck. We know they're out there. And wouldn't it be fun if they presented the Bravo sphere with like the top two or three and they let us pick who we wanted to add to the show? Like you get voted in, voted on the island, literally. I just think that would be a really fun thing for them to do. Like why not let us weigh in on it? Who's making these decisions? Why do they get to make them? You know what? There's so many franchises now. What if they did one city where they just let us pick everybody? You know, five, six women. And we pick. And we put them together, almost like a fantasy football team, except not from the current roster. So, yeah, Ultimate Girls Trip, I think at some point they need to let us start voting, like who we think would make a great Ultimate Girls Trip collage but um even for a new city what do they have to lose we'd at least be invested in it because we picked it so you'd probably get more people watching it i'm just giving them ideas they can feel free to give me discounts and comps to things i'm waiting patiently because that's a good idea they really put a lot of effort into that launch you know i think that's the first city where they've done a clean sweep a fresh canvas and a new vision so it's a big deal. It's a big deal. They, they invested a lot. They carefully curated the cast. And so I hope that they listened to the feedback from people. And I hope they were watching honestly, because there's some changes to be made, some positive changes. And because my DVR broke, we're going to do a couple of these season recaps catching us up because I got to catch up on a lot of shows. My DVR busted. I'm behind on Southern Charm. I'm behind on some stuff. So we're going to catch up together. My next episode will either be a recap of Beverly Hills or Salt Lake City. If I can finish the rest of Salt Lake City this weekend, then it will be Salt Lake City on Monday. If not, then it will be Beverly Hills. But I think I can do it. I think, I can, I think I, this is what we train for. And I think that I can focus enough and get done with Salt Lake City to do a, uh, a recap by Monday on where we're at with, with the Monica situation. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, please, to this. Subscribe to the YouTube. Have a good one. Don't be like Aaron and Sai. Be nice to people. Bye.